0: Yes, it's true. We put a message on gluttony the week before Thanksgiving and yes, it was absolutely intentional. However, the the goal is not for everybody to feel guilty and like then you're oh no, I won't have seconds and you're watching everything eat at Thanksgiving. I mean that's just an easy shot. I mean, seriously. To do something like that. It just sort to make you feel guilty about your Thanksgiving. It, we're more using it though, because we're gonna we're gonna flip the concept of gluttony um, pretty hard today, and I think it'll be different than you than you think, and, and a little more searing, and I think it'll feel more deadly. Um, and so we want on Thanksgiving is it to be a prompt, a reminder? Because here's here's the here's the nutshell. In, the, in Tracy Chapman's song, she says, "In the life I've always wanted, I guess I'll never have." And this series has been centered on. And, and those of us who've been teaching it have just loved this series because to our great pl- pleasure and, and, and a bit of surprise, The Seven Deadly Sins has felt so incredibly life-giving because we've very intentionally focused away from, well, here's the sin. We've talked about it, but we've looked more at, so how do we have life? We, we, we know these things. We know at some point that the, the things we're pursuing, the, the things we're weighing into are not giving us the life we wanted. And Tracy Chapman in this song refers to a way of looking at life, a gluttonous view of life and saying, I guess the life I've always wanted, I guess I'll never get. I want you to know that the life you've always wanted, you can actually get. And this talk on gluttony will serve really as a wrap-up for the entire series. And this series has been focused on how do we live in a life-giving way. And one of my friends I were emailing this week, and one of the things he said to me is, "Sometimes we look at these things and we don't really feel guilty, but do we feel free ah that's a that's a different thing, isn't it? The easy shot is making people feel guilty. The life affirmation is people becoming free. It is my goal, and when I prayed this morning for I spoke is that every one of you would walk out today with the belief that you can be far more free and that life can explode from who you are. And we will use, of all things, the concept of gluttony to help you to do that. Now, when you think about gluttony, probably what jumps off the the page is something like, you know, in Willy Wonka, Augustus Gloop, you know, the rather um, hefty boy who will eat anything and everything. And that's the picture of course they're trying to create. He's the, he's the seven deadly sin of, of gluttony. And, and for most of you that, that won't hit very close to home. You know what I mean? You're not you know, sticking your head in fountains of chocolate. That's not really going to... And I think for often uh, gluttony we sort of look at it this way. Sort of like when you look at I should probably take a few off. You know just I should take I should take a few off. I should be a little more moderate. A little more balanced. I, I eat a bit. Too. That's, that's true. And when I come to Thanksgiving this week, I, I think I'll get to hold off on the thirds. <laughs> I'll get the first, I'll get the second. So it's, you know, but you know, deadly, come on. Deadly? It's more like, I, you know, I'm not 450 pounds. I, I could take off a few, though. That'd be good. That's a, that's a good piece of advice. Let's not eat so much. Now, I know for some of you, the eating issue is a big one. It is. But it's not because of the food. And it's not because you need to take off a few. It's because the heart of that is the real deadly sin of gluttony, which is here's the definition I want you to think about when we talk about gluttony gluttony is an inordinate desire to consume more than that which one requires. Gluttony is about consuming. It's not about possessing, it's about consuming. An inordinate desire to consume more than we require of whatever—it's about consumption—and a consumption which can absolutely take over our lives. There was in um, the 19th century, our our our, uh, our world was changing the Western world was changing in a specific way, is that it, to be before that, to be rich, meant you, know, you were landed aristocracy. Money had been passed down, you owned land, and you were just, you were the gentry. You had money. You did not work for it, you simply had it. And then, in the 19th century, a new class was created. They were the nouveau riche. They made their money, and they were considered not, they had money, but they were not considered to be particularly upstanding. You know, their money had not gotten them into the upper class yet, they were, they were pretenders, you know, they were owned factories and stuff. Ew, you know, it was not, they didn't have you know, the family background and name. And so a, a sociologist wrote a book called The Theory of the Leisure Class. And in that he coined a term, a phrase that has become well known, which is conspicuous consumption. But he said this nouveau riche, what they're attempting to do is they're attempting to consume in an obvious way so that people will see them as the leisure class. They don't want to be seen as workers of having that. They want to be seen and they will intentionally consume more than they need. They will be conspicuous about their consumption so that people will see them differently, will begin to see them as belonging because clearly belonging to a better class of people is defined about how much I can consume. Way more than I need. Way more than I require. But I can do it because I have the resources. And consumption was the way they defined themselves. Charles Dickens, in a book he wrote along that theme called Our Mutual Friend, this is one quote he has about the key couple, the veneerings. Mr. and Mrs. Veneering were brand new people in a brand new house in a brand new quarter of London. Everything about the veneerings was spick and span new. All their furniture was new, all their friends were new. All their servants were new. Their plate was new. Their carriage was new. Their harness was new. Their horses were new. Everything was new. They consumed what they didn't need to define themselves. Gluttony became their way of life. Conspicuous consumption still, for many of us, defines us. And it's not about, maybe I should take off a few. No comments on whether or not I should. I want you to look with me at two passages in the Bible which take the concept of consumption and and frame it a little bit differently and help us to see that, quite honestly, this could become deadly. I'm going to read... Oh, I moved it. I'll find it, really. In Ecclesiastes, which is... Oh, that was quick one of the Old Testament uh, prophecies in, in uh, I'm not Ecclesiastes, Ezekiel, Ezekiel is writing to a group of people that there was a lot of stuff going wrong. Seriously, he was very unhappy with them and God was very unhappy with them. And as he's writing to them, he compares them unfavorably, mind you, to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, This is not good. This is not good. You become unfavorably compared to Sodom. This is not good. And this is what he says about it. This is how he defines them. Now, this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. This was the sin of Sodom. Arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. Consumption takes time. It's not easy to take in more than you require. It takes effort. And it takes focus. If you are going to consume, not what you need, but what you want to, to fill some sense of yawningness in you, then it's going to take some time and some energy. And in the end, this is the picture that Ezekiel paints. What is the sin of gluttony? The sin of gluttony is you are Arrogant. Life is about you. You are overfed. You are stuffed with stuff. And you don't care. You don't care. You care more about what you can consume than about the poor and the needy. You care more about what you're getting than about anybody. It defines you. Consumption becomes your God. Here's this other passage. I love this passage in, in the book of Philippians. The, Paul is writing to um, Paul was one of the leaders of the early church, and he's writing to a group of people in the city of Philippi, and he's talking about some people who are who are not going the right direction. And this is what he says. He says their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. He's like Seriously, their God is their stomach. What is it that defines them? What is it that rules them? Their stomach. And in a sense, he's using a bit of hyperbole. He doesn't think it's literally their stomach, but their desires just to have, just to consume, have become their God. There is a song by David Crowder at one point that says, I'm so tired of these little gods. Gluttony is about little gods ruling our life. Gluttony is about letting consumption define us. Gluttony is about filling the needs of our souls to just getting more. Getting more of whatever. Food, power, position, identity, status, whatever. Gluttony Is letting consumption become our God. It's a God that will tear you up. It's a God that will never bring any sense of satisfaction to your soul. It's a God who will rule your life and spit you out, and you will never find peace. It's no way to live. And it's the way in America where we've defined ourselves by what we can consume. Okay. Here's the tricky thing. When I say that to you, you may feel guilty about some consumption, you may not. Bigger question is, are you free? Because here's how the Bible pictures food and consumption. This is really, really clever. I'm, I'm going to be just straight up honest here with you. I like good food. I do. I like good wine. It has to be read. I don't know why people make white wine. It's a waste of grapes. <laughs> I like good wine. I do. I like good beer. Can't drink Budweiser. Don't know why anybody ever would. I like good beer. I'm a snob. I like good beer, I like good wine, I like good food, I like hanging out with friends and enjoying dinner. I do. And here's the thing. God does too. The, the pictures in the Bible, think about this, when the prodigal son comes home, right? Now he is squandered. He's taken all of his money and he's just consumed and he's spent and he's squandered it all. So when he comes home, what happens? They don't, oh, we're going to put you on a fast. When he comes home, they go, woo let's have a feast. He's just been feasting for years. He just wasted all his money. And he comes home and they say, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's kill the best thing we have. Let's rejoice and celebrate for the one who was lost has now been found. And in the end of the Bible, really, flip to the end, you'll see this. In the end of the Bible, when all, you know, it got the culmination and people are in the presence of God, they liken it to a wedding feast. People be invited to a wedding feast. They, they rejoice and they celebrate. The Old Testament ceremonies are largely about feasting. The pictures in the Bible about wine and food are about feasting. So, what is the point? There's a huge difference between consuming because I must, because I am trying. My, you know what, is to fill some need in my, in my life. It's become my God. It's what gives me satisfaction. It's what gives me joy. It's what I do when I'm unhappy. It's what I do when I'm depressed. It's what I do when I feel overwhelmed. I consume. I take it in. I'm just trying to stuff something in there, whether it's food or clothes or whatever. When I'm tired, when I'm depressed, when I'm angry, when I'm disappointed, when my needs are not met, I'm just consuming. There's a huge difference between that and in a moment of time, at a true moment of celebration, saying, I will choose to feast and rejoice and rejoice. These are not the same thing. And one of the dangers of walking out of this entire series is for you to take something like gluttony and say, okay, I will be moderate. I'll be balanced. I'll be right smack in the middle. I will not be ascetic and deny food. I will not deny pleasure, but neither will I indulge. I will be balanced. That isn't freedom. It's just slapping some walls around your life. Freedom is the place in your life where you can truly, full out, with body, mind, heart, and soul, celebrate And rejoice, but it's also a place where, in in plenty or in want, you can simply not. You don't need to. I set down a desire because I don't need that. I do not require it. I must not consume more than I require to fill some hole. I only celebrate in moments of celebration. But I do not define my life by what I consume I am more than a vacuum sucking up things that I desire there's a better way and there's a way of freedom essentially it's this the antidote to gluttony to conspicuous consumption that we utilize to meet all sorts of needs in our lives is a discipline of simplicity And simplicity, as an ancient discipline, does not mean I simply don't do many things. It's not that at all. It's that my heart becomes ordered and focused and is defined by only one thing from which the rest of the trajectory of my life flows. And that one thing Jesus encapsulates when he encapsulates and the gospel of Matthew when he says seek first god's kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you the discipline of simplicity looks like this i have a stage full of little gods little things that i have allowed to rule my life they control me i make a good show of them not controlling me but they control me they define me this one defines me when i'm sad It is my God that I put in the midst of that. This one defines me when I'm hurt. This one defines me when I want people to believe something about me that isn't even true. When I want to be someone. Simplicity is sweeping all those away. And instead having... One God through whom you live your life. A God who made you and who is for you. A God who will not use you nor dispense with you. A God who will not see you as a bottomless pit but a God who seeks to fill your soul and for whom you were made. That is the discipline of simplicity. A well-ordered heart. A heart that has found its place in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and all other things flow from that. But see, how does that happen? It's really easy to say. It's really easy for me to stand up here and say, don't let these things define you. Don't reach for that when you're hurt. How does that change? You see, what happens, and this is the, like, this is the whole thesis of the, the book, The Life, you, Life You've Always Wanted, that we've talked about throughout this series, the whole thesis of that is, you can't try to be a better person. It's not about willpower. You can't say, okay, I won't just do this anymore. It's about training. It's about building in life-affirming practices into your soul that change who you are on the inside. And so the little gods fall off the stage. It is not trying harder. It is training your soul so that God becomes at the center. And the one thing I want to talk to you about today to do that will take much of what we've talked about this series and bring it together. And it's, it's basically to have a rule of life. To determine what are those practices that I will bring into my life? What are those decisions I will make about spiritual formation? How will I train my life to become free. What will those life-affirming practices be for me? And how will they play out in my life? For example, how and when will I pray? How and when will I pray? What will that look like? How often will I do it? In what context will I do it? How will I do it? When will I do it? How will I order my finances in such a way that they will change my view of consumption? and begin to, to make God the focus of my life? How, how will I view my life in terms of engagement with other people? What, what do I believe? What do I believe is the thing, is the place of engagement and community that will change my life? And so that will become the rule of life of how I will live, such that if I'm engaged in a small group, and it is not hitting that thing that I know I need, in order to see my life transformed, then I weigh in there. I don't simply sit back passively and say, okay, I'm doing something. I make conscious decisions about how I train my life. I have a rule of life of the important things. What disciplines will I weigh in with? What will they be? Not wishful thinking. Not I'll work harder next week at not giving in to gluttony. I'm going to try really hard not to be slothful. What things will I place in my life to train? What will be my rule of life? It it, it would be really easy to walk out of this series and think, oh, I should do some more stuff. I'm challenging you to develop those things that you say, these are the things, this is how I will train. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? And then saying this is, you know... Trying hard would be to say, okay, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm not going to take the second helping. That's how I'm going to live. Okay, that's fine. It's not going to get you that far. I'm not saying don't do it, but that's not the center. And saying, okay, how can I, what are the things I'm going to do to train my life so that my heart gets reordered, so that God is the center place in my life and so I don't need to consume anymore? I can choose to celebrate. I can choose to sacrifice because these things do not shape my identity. Do you see the difference? Choose the things that will help you train and begin to weigh in. We have, at this point in our history, we have a scandalous amount of resources. Seriously. We have this incredible overabundance of resources. You know, I... You do not have to come on Sunday morning to hear me say some pithy and profound thing, and this becomes your life-changing thing. And if you don't get that, you can't possibly grow. I know I'm giving you pithy and profound things today. Nonetheless, if you wait and say, "You know, there are better people speakers than than me," seriously, you go online. There's lots. There's lots of options. Mark Dickman, for example. (laughs) Steve Whitby, Jamie Henderson, Kirk... It just goes on and on. And they're the ones who are here. The resources are everywhere. You don't even have to read anymore. You can watch something. The book we've told you about, you can get it online. I mean, get it in audio at iTunes. Life you've always wanted. Plug it in an iTunes, download it, there you go. You can just listen to it. The resources are everywhere. But what will you take to train? Not, not one time. Not, not by happenstance. What will you take and determine to train? Why? Because you actually want your life to be free. Jessica Ramsey, and and, and yet another resource, we've actually created more for you too. Jessica Ramsey has written a Take It Further for the whole series. You know, we do it every week. It's online every week. You can go to a Take It Further for that message. Well, we also do it at the end of the series, and Jessica Ramsey did one for this series, and she's a a, a wonderful writer. But early on, she essentially lays lays that out. go, You don't have to be defined by greed. You don't have to be defined by lust or by sloth but you will not see them um, fade by just trying harder. Begin now to weigh in with the spiritual disciplines that will change your heart. And she gives a list of ways that she's going to go about it. I'm challenging you to develop a few things that you will say if you want to be free. Not guilty, not trying harder, if you want to be free. If you want the little gods to finally go away. Train yourself to be godly. Put some things into place. There are lots of resources. You don't have to be defined by what you consume, you don't have to settle for grabbing that thing. To make you feel better. You don't have to walk through your life feeling guilty about all the things you do. This can stop. And you can be free. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. It's for freedom that He came to earth and laid down His life. It's for freedom. Take hold walk forward into the resources that are available to you. At the end of the um, service day, I'm going to walk with you again with some very specific resources to take further from here. But as we walk into this time of worship, this is what I'm praying. I'm going to pray for just a minute. I'm going to pray that God will meet you in the midst of it with a sense that that says enough. Away with these little gods. I want God, the God, who loves me and will never use me. I want to train my life so that he is at the center. My heart is well ordered. And there is simplicity that allows me to live free. Let's pray. Father, take this time and free us from the things that bind us, from things that hold us things that are driven out of all sorts of needs which are real needs but they're false answers they're they're frauds and imposters gluttony is a fraud and an imposter would you speak to each one of us about how we take hold of the life that you want for us and at core the life we've always wanted would you give us that deep burning desire and the hope that's born out of your death and resurrection for us to lean now forward and you're creating a rule of life that turns us toward you, changes our heart. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we start our... Time of response. We start it with our offering, and, and for us, it's another one of those tangible things. We don't want to hold. We don't want to grasp so tightly. We want to open our hands. We want to live free. We don't want to have to be defined by what we have. We want to be able to freely open and see God work in other people's lives. And so that's why we place this the part of our service and the you, you know basket holders you all can come forward and I'm going to talk to you all for a little bit as they're coming forward and the band's just going to wait a couple minutes. I want to talk to you about something which I think is important and we have not really talked to the community as a whole about how is Warehouse going to live? What are we going to do in the midst of an economic crisis? It's one of these elephants that's in the room. I mean, you all know it. (laughs) You all know the economy's going going bad. I mean, who are we kidding? Why do we... We don't need to ignore this. And so what I want to talk to you about is as a leadership of warehouse, how are we going to weigh into the midst of this economic crisis? What are we going to do? We've already started to do a few things. One of the determinations we made was this is a time of opportunity. This is a time for mission. Needs will not go down. They will go up. There will be more people expressing real and legitimate financial needs. There will be more people whose little gods have crashed. And while I at no level wish for misery for people, the truth is at times like this, people's little gods crash. And perhaps in that moment, they hear the life-changing message that there is a God who is for them, who can come live in the center of life that Jesus actually died for them. The, the needs will rise. And so our intention is we want to stay as laser-focused as possible on our mission. Our mission of leaning forward into the city so that it rejoices. We want to be able to lean into the needs of the community across the street. We want to be able to lean into your lives and the lives of friends so that people experience a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what are we going to do? What we have determined is we've determined to trim our expenditures to the very bare minimum. And we've only asked this question. What, how minimum can we go so that we can make absolutely sure that our mission doesn't get thwarted at all. We don't want to do anything that potentially could keep us at some point from weighing hard into our mission. And so we're being cautious. We also realize that you as our community, as you, as you feel led by God and as you weigh in with, with your finances, we, we want you to know that we, we will be as responsible as humanly possible. We will cut it tight so that what you give goes toward accomplishing our mission in this city. And so you will see this in little ways and perhaps in some, some larger ways. But we, we at, at um, leadership gatherings, we, we, we love to provide a meal for our leaders and to, and to rejoice with them. Well, we've eliminated that. Well, it's, it's a good thing. It is. It's a good thing to do that. It gives us a great moment of celebration. But we thought, you know what? Right now, for right now, in this particular time, when times are tough for everybody, let's, let's be cautious. Let's pull that back so that we can be absolutely sure that we never jeopardize our ability to do our mission by things we didn't have to spend. There are no mints on your table. Little things. We decided, you know what, we don't really have to do that. There's still mints in there. You know, if you need a mint, there's still mints in there. But We were placing them on every table and we thought, we don't need to do this. Let's stay laser focused. Let's trim as tight as possible so that our mission continues to go forward hard because... As we trimmed, we're basically going on, I'm giving you all the information, we're basically going on a three-month cycle. We look at three months, what's the minimum amount of month we need to spend in order to keep our mission going very hard, and then that's what we determine to do. When we get to the next cycle, which is the beginning of next year, let's say we decide we're going to amp it up a little bit. We're able to put a little more room in that. Almost certainly, the room we're going to put in there is going to not go to providing dinner again. Something's going to go toward benevolence. Because already we see a rise in people's needs, real legitimate needs. And so we're going to try to trim tight so that when those needs come, we can weigh into people's lives. That's our commitment to you. What I'm asking from you is, if the mission of Warehouse is something that resonates with you, we need your committed giving. I appreciate, I do, I sincerely appreciate the giving that we have at Warehouse and I appreciate how you all are giving even right now in the midst of time of Christ I just encourage you if you believe in this mission the needs will will not shrink they're going to rise and so the committed giving of those who consider warehouse their home and want to be a part of it is extremely important for our part we promise you we will be tight we will live tight in order to use every dime very very well for our mission that's our commitment to you And we're asking you, if you believe in our mission, to continue your committed giving so that as the needs rise, we're able to weigh in hard and fast and show the beauty of Christ to people who need to see that. All right, now as we turn to this time of of response, let yourself go free. Enjoy the power. Enjoy the the beauty. Enjoy the, 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 the poignancy of music that is intended for us to weigh in, response, and hear from God.